You're listening to the Footprint Coalition's Downstream channel. Today, we're continuing our deep dive into humanity's relationship with meat. Robert and Rachel, please welcome Tracy McQuirter. As a public health nutritionist and best-selling author, Tracy has established herself as a vegan trailblazer with unmatched track record for motivating underrepresented communities to rethink their eating habits for ethical, environmental, and dietary reasons. In 2020, she launched the 10,000 Black Vegan Women campaign and, following overwhelming success, recently expanded the initiative to reach 10 million Black Vegan Women. We brought Tracy on to learn about her relationship with veganism and how she inspires so many others to join the movement. Hello, dear. Hi, Robert. How are you? It's great to be here. Thank you. I'm pretty good. Usually, uh, Kropa and I would be together. I'm back east. I was visiting a, a bit of family, so I'm out on Long Island. Uh, where does this find you? I'm in D.C., Washington, D.C., my hometown. Okay. Well, we're really happy to have you. And Rachel has been giving me a crash course on all things Tracy McWhorter. Uh, it's appropriate that Tracy comes to us from the kitchen because she said that she uh, she really yes. has a lot of cooking and demos and things to do usually. So that's her spot. Why have us humans started to reevaluate our relationship with meat over time? Well, you know, it's a it's a great question. I'm glad we're starting with that because I think a lot of people still have the belief that we ate much more meat than we did. And we now have technology, which I'm sure you'll appreciate, Robert, that shows that we ate primarily plants. Um, and so uh that I, what I welcome people to do is just kind of look at the Game Changers movie. Um, I'm on their advisory board and it to me is one of the best that traces all of that. Um, and so what I wanna do though is say that that was then what we, what we know now is that the way that most of us eat is based on factory farming, right? It's based on um, production of billions of animals every year um, that are cruelly raised, exploit, you know, it exploits the workers, um, it exploits the communities that these hog farms, these cattle farms, these chicken farms um, are in, um, it ruins there are waterways. Um, there's so much land devastation that happens because of factory farming, right? And so there's no need for that to happen now. That is how most people get their meat. And so I think that that's one of the reasons that people are reevaluating it now, right? Because we know that there is this effect on our health and on the climate. And that false narrative, and we've already been exploring this otherwise, is this the, you know, is it this kind of sociology thing or is it uh, advertising? Was it big business trying to change the narrative to, you know, the bottom line of their product and all that stuff? But it is just wild. If you just look back at our teeth, our stomachs. Yeah, absolutely. So as someone who who really is kind of, I think you're really a, a prime mover in, in this field. I think we need the smartest, best minds and voices to deal with this. But how does how did this even come to you? What was your process that got you to where you are, who and what you are now? Well, I am an unlikely vegan because um, I was never expecting to be vegan. I was raised as a healthy eater. You know, my mother was an omnivore. We were raised as omnivores in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, but healthier omnivores. So we didn't have um, cookie jars. We didn't have candy. We had, you know, we cooked 
our meals from scratch and we ate, um, you know, pretty healthfully and I didn't like it. And I had cousins who had lots of junk food and I love going over their house to eat. And so when I went to Amherst College in 1984, I gained 25 pounds my first year because I was away from home and I could eat whatever I wanted. So that was pizza, cheeseburgers, hamburgers, hot dogs, desserts all the time, all day, every day. And then my sophomore year, um, in uh, 1986, our Black Student Union brought Dick Gregory to campus to talk about the state of Black America. And instead, he talked about the plate of Black America and how unhealthfully fo most folks eat. And um, Dick Gregory, by that time, had been a vegan for 20 years. And he started because of the practice of nonviolence during the Civil Rights Movement in 1965. He was a right-hand person for King, extended the uh, philosophy of nonviolence to include animals. Um, and then in 67 became a vegan for health reasons, right? So 65 to 67 was his transition. And he'd been a guru, you know, had a, had a mini empire, vegan empire going on by the time he came to my campus 20 years later. So he was connecting all of the dots about, um, you know, compassion for animals, about, um, the greed of the food industry, the connections between the USDA and lobbyists, right, for the food industry, advertising, social justice, all of these things I was interested in because I was a budding activist at the time. And he traced the path of a hamburger from a factory farm to uh, a hamburger um, in a fast food place, right, to uh, a heart attack, basically, from a clogged artery. And it rocked my world because I ate hamburgers every day. A much less unlikely path. Really, that was that's my origin story. So how do you, do you still discuss veganism in all those ways? Or when you're talking to people, is there sort of an easy point in for folks? Yeah, so, you know, I, I um, am a public health nutritionist. I changed professions because of my veganism. So um, my entry point personally is usually health. When I teach it in the beginning, um, but I always connect the dots because there is so much misinformation about food and nutrition. Um, and so I want people to understand the context around why they have been misinformed, right? And so it's important to talk about the food industry, capitalism, greed, exploitation. Um, it's important to talk about why there is food apartheid and low-income Black communities and brown communities, right? It's important to make these connections, the same connections that Dick Gregory made, I make. Um, and you know, we, there is a context around why we eat and people think the vegans are the food police, but it's the food industry, right? That's dictating the ads, what the USDA says, what, what's available in school lunch programs, what's available, what's available for the imprisoned population, right? Um, and so I'm really trying to free people's minds and give them different information so they can make informed choices. So yes, I absolutely talk about all of these things. It's important. But not necessarily with uh, with your family. I remember you saying your your family is uh, part vegan and part not vegan. How do you deal with like Thanksgiving in that context? <laughs> so yes, my mother um, and my sister and one of my sisters went vegan with me, uh, you know, 34 years ago. And one of my sisters did not. And um, the sister who did not is very supportive. Um, and, 
you know, always has promoted our, our, you know, all of our efforts, right? But she is not interested in being vegan herself. And so, and, and, and uh, so what that means is we're very close. And so all of our occasions are spent together. So we always have vegan food and we always have plant-based food, you know, animal-based foods, and we love each other. You know, we're families, we're, we're grown. And so we respect each other's choices. And she knows that if she has questions, about it or, you know, we're here for her, right? Um, and what it has shown me over the decades is that if, if everyone may not make the change, right? Or they may make different changes. She has made some changes in her diet, definitely. Um, but, it, you know, you choose your, you choose your uh, conversations, you choose your battles and um, it doesn't have to become a point of conflict if you love the person. And so not only with our family and, you know, our immediate family, my extended family has been having Thanksgiving together since before I was born and I'll be 55 this year. So, and there are hundreds of us. And so when we became vegan 34 years ago, we would bring these dishes, you know, and, and be really evangelical about it. And we got teased mercilessly, but over the years, our family members started coming to us, particularly because my mother was 50 at the time and she's, she'll, she's now uh, 84. Her health was maintaining, right? Her weight was maintaining. And so, uh, but, you know, unfortunately her siblings um, were having health issues. So they started to come to us to ask us for advice. So, who, you know, we didn't expect that to happen. So we were just examples, right? And always open and available. And I, I, you know, I don't have a need to have a fight over the dinner table. I just wanna love my family, have conversations that are not about food. And then if they have questions afterwards, then we can talk about it. Tofurky, <laughs> it goes a long way. You know, it's funny because everything is like everything else too. You know, I think of the road gets narrow, narrower sometimes the more you know, but I cannot impose what my experience has brought me to know beyond the shadow of a doubt. It's that code of loving tolerance that seems to have gone out the window, generally speaking. But if charity starts at home, for instance, my son, Exton, he is an absolute carnivore and we go, oh, we, we can't. And we're trying to edge him away from it. Our daughter, Avery, is a natural vegetarian vegan. She'll have a little bit of fish, but and she looks like Bruce Lee with her shirt off. Right. He is a, a little more uh, husky, we'll say. <laughs> so even within one's own bloodline, you go, there are natural things here. And then you go, all right. So you get to a point where now as your education corridor becomes more refined, you see that, yes, I understand that. And the China study says less than 5% animal protein. But what if you can get to a place where you are doing zero damage to the environment and providing the best sustenance you can for this physical frame for your, your vehicle? Right, exactly. You've led so many folks to reexamine their meat consumption in a way that is not divisive. And so what do you find inspires people to be able to see a different, uh, that perspective shift? Um, I think meeting people where they are and, and having, and showing grace. And I don't mean me showing grace. I mean, me asking them to show themselves some grace, right? So if they have a desire to go vegan and they find it difficult, they start, they stop 
they start, they stop. I tell them that I did for a year and a half. It took me a year and a half, right? Um, to actually go vegan. I had a lot of stops and starts. And so the first thing I do is say to have grace with yourself and to know that it may take you six days. It may take you six years. You are in the process, right? If you have decided you want to go vegan, just keep going. Just keep going. If you mess up, you backslide, you cheat, start again the next day. So truly having grace with yourself um, and, and don't be mad that you were misinformed. You know, we know how this society is. This is what it does. So, you know, now you have it, now you have different information and it's your choice about how you decide to behave after that. So yes, I truly, it was really important for me to, um, just to have people see this as something that's not, that's um, freeing, liberating, and to have grace with themselves as they go through the process. Yeah, there's probably a lot of obstacles for people as they try to go through this. I mean, I have to imagine it's not just like, okay, tomorrow is the day and that's it. But for communities, you know, what are the what do you see that are obstacles? I mean, the obvious one I can think of is I've spent a lot of time in rural places and they may only have like a 7-Eleven. I mean, you know, food deserts are, are a big deal. And, uh, you know, for, for communities that want to be able to have resources to pursue this, what do you see? Well, the first thing I say is that um, the Black Panther Party um, was operating in very low income Black communities, right, across the country, as an example. And they started the free breakfast programs. They were feeding hundreds of thousands of kids, low-income kids every morning, right? They, it wasn't vegan. It wasn't primarily plant-based, but they were able to do that. And because of that, we have school breakfast programs in, in the public school system. So how were they able to do that? They had community gardens, right? They had people cooking their food. They had, um, they had a desire to do it based on the resources that they have. And, and at the same time that that was happening in the 60s, there were trailblazer, trailblazing black vegans who had um, community gardens, who had vegan uh, cafes and carryouts who had health food stores. Like we, in DC, for example, there were 13 black owned vegan health food stores and cafes and co-ops um, since the early seventies, right? And these were low income black communities. So I tell people we have done this before. This is not new, right? You, we, we make a way. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is, if you focus on whole food plant-based, then you're focusing on rice, you're focusing on beans, you're focusing on different kinds of beans, different kinds of grains. Um, you're focusing on fruits and vegetables that's fresh or frozen, right? And so what is what, what are the foods that you already like to eat in your community? Do you like to have um, beans and rice? Do you like to have mac and cheese? Well, how can you make it without it, right? That's that's a pasta and a and a cheat and a vegan cheese sauce that you can make naturally, right? Um, if you like to have lasagna, if you like to have chili, if you like to have soups and stews, if you like to have stir fries, what are the foods that you most like to eat? Five to seven to nine of them. Let's talk about how to veganize them. Most likely you're already eating grains, you're already eating vegetables, you're already eating fruit, you're already eating nuts. So if you are making something like a pasta or a stir fry, you may be adding fish or chicken or beef or pork. So how about you add some chickpeas or some red beans, or you add some cashews, or you add some tofu. Do you see what I'm saying? You're just substituting one thing. So 
again, it's the idea of opening up, not thinking, not closing down. Think about the abundance of what you can eat and your seasonings and your sauces, your spices, your herbs, that's what makes it your flour, your oil, that's what makes it taste good. And that's already vegan. So it's just kind of letting folks know that personally, you know, if you, if you, that your communities have probably already done this and you can do it too. So if you have corner stores or, or bodegas, get the beans, get the grains, get the fruit, get the vegetables and start from there. And those are the cheapest, most readily available foods and communities. And then start growing your own stuff or, you know, join a community garden. My, my missus came from uh, Schaumburg, Illinois, was raised as an omnivore, and then had this day where she just saw, for her, it was a conceptual thing. Okay. She saw that she was eating the semi-decomposing flesh of an animal, and she said, never again. By the time I met her, she was an occasional pescatarian, and now, because, you know, all of us, but women, health, tummy stuff, SIBO, whatever it is, she has a very strict regimen that is going exactly toward the type of, of, of eating and lifestyle that, that you're discussing. I think for the rest of us, it's, it's less intuitive and more about, I just need to encourage everyone. Say out loud, I'm making a pledge to go further and further away for the good of the planet, further and further away from animal protein and see, can I arrive at vegetarianism? Can I continue through that into veganism? So I'm going to say, I'm saying right now, I'm asking you, Tracy, to be my vegan sponsor. I don't know if it can happen today or tomorrow or a week or a month, or if it will be a year before I can even get the gumption to say, I'm going to have one last in and out burger, and then I'm going to kiss a goodbye or whatever. But I've been in this vacillation myself too. I've been on a bit of a journey with yeah. food and exercise and meditation, and obviously me and my own, uh, you know, recovery requirements for some time now. And it really is, it is a Every thumbprint is a different thing. But vis-a-vis -vis the footprint mission, we know how even just that slight tick shift can wind up being the difference between us making it to a habitable planet or not. Will you tell us a little bit about the 10,000 Black Vegan Women uh, project this past year? And, and maybe Robert can be plus one white vegan For sure. <laughs> um, so... I started 10,000 Black Vegan Women in 2020 um, because I was celebrating the 10 year anniversary of my first book, By Any Greens Necessary, which was the first vegan diet book for Black women. And so I wanted to, to celebrate that 10 year anniversary last year. And so I launched 10,000 Black Vegan Women to help 10,000 Black women go vegan in one year. And then COVID happened. So we kind of, we postponed it to October. Um, and we ended up having um, 12,000 women sign up. And I think that COVID had a lot to do with that because everyone was talking about boosting their immune system and then realizing that, and then we realized that folks who had pre-existing primarily diet-related diseases were more, more likely to get COVID, right? And it hit the black community much harder, three to six times more likely to get COVID, twice as likely to die because of these pre-existing conditions. And so all of this was happening um, and folks were really focused on health. And so, you know, it was just kind of timing. And so we had 12,000 women sign up in October. We ran the program. We had phenomenal results as is expected, right? 
Um, and we have since had uh, 3,000 more. So we're at 15,000 and counting and we're about to ramp up and um, you know, relaunch it and scale it up so that we can reach many, many, many more women. And so this is my life's work. I focus on black women um, because while we are fabulous, we have the worst health outcomes in the country. The worst, you know, down the line, heart disease, stroke, um, high cholesterol, unhealthy weight, diabetes, you know, and it's unacceptable to me. It is completely unnecessary, preventable, and unacceptable. And so um, it's my mission to, to help change that health paradigm for us and, and successive generations. And so I'm, I will, I hope maybe I can come back or, you know, tell you all more about it when we relaunch. You must. I'm class of 65. I just turned 56. Oh, we're the same age pretty much. Yes. I, I look at you now. I think I'm thinking, all right. So back in 2000, you were 34, 35 years old and you were a strategist for the successful lawsuit against the USDA proving racial and food industry bias in the formation of the U.S. dietary guidelines. So even two decades ago, the recognition that there is legislative suits need to be filed, the things that you must do to bring attention to the patently obvious, however unjust things, how do you get the wind at your back for that when it often feels like a like a uphill battle? Ooh. Robert, that's a good question. I I go through my moments where I'm like, do I still want to be doing this? And it's and it um and it gets frustrating, you know. And I look and I chose, I didn't really choose this path. This, you know, I know it's cliche, but it really did choose me because there are certain things I won't do. Like I knew that I wanted to be an activist. Um, and I knew from a, from a young age, you know, like in, in middle school that, that, that I wanted to help liberate black people from a number of things that oppress us, you know, that systematic, um, the system, the systemic white supremacy does to us in this country. I just didn't know how I was going to do it. And it ended up being through veganism. Right. Um, but I thought I was going to be an NAACP or ACLU lawyer. I thought I, I, in, I interned at the ACLU. I thought I was going to be a judge and investigative journalist. So seriously, this chose me. And so I always think about the fact that Dick Gregory was in his 50s when he came to Amherst, right? He, had, he already had made his money through comedy and through veganism, his, his mini empire. He could have stopped. And, and if he had before he got to Amherst College, I would not have heard about it and I would not have changed my life, right? He literally, I was on the path to these chronic diseases. And so that's what I think about. Why did he, why did he continue until he died a couple of years ago? And, you know, we, so I think about that. I'm in my fifties now. I, I can still do this. There are many millions more you know, women that I can affect. And then also this whole thing with police brutality, right? For example, you know, with, with Derek Chauvin killing George Floyd and all of these things that happened last summer, Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, it is tragic. It is, a, you know, it's a crisis. It's been happening, you know, for 400 years. We know that. And yet police kill about a thousand people a year, right? Unarmed people a year. 40% of those about are black people. 
but there are 300,000 Black people a year who die from primarily diet-related chronic diseases. 50,000 Black women a year die from heart disease, which is completely preventable. And so for me, it's not, it's not a comparison game, but it is just as urgent, right? And we are not out in the streets about it. We don't know about it. And so this for me, veganism, choosing me also means that I have the ability to, to impact this many people who don't know about the fact that their food is killing them and why, right? So there's just a lot of work to be done, you know? And I see the success and, and, and the way that I'm able to help, change, help people change their own lives. So that's what, when I get in those moments where I'm done, I think about that. It's wild too, you know, this idea of the legacy that you pass on. You you never know what that's going to inspire, but I do know the people who said those things to me or showed up or I realized, wow, they're behaviorally modeling a way of conducting yourself, a moral psychology, a way of living in the world and, and participating. And as we step up and, and deal with this mounting crisis, uh, what I'm finding is, yeah, there's big business and yeah, there's green tech. And I'm into all of it, but I think the through line is going to wind up being that legacy of leadership. And that is so subtle and it goes from human to human. It is that quantum element that you can't outclass it. You can't buy it. It's just that thing. So I, I'm really moved by your, by, forget your passion and what you're doing, but just that the path chose you and that you're seeing that uh, you'll be lighting the way for others too. You know, it's, it's really, really, really cool. Speaking of, okay, so if Robert, if you're going to join yes, and, and, and try to go, try to go vegan for a little bit, at least as much as you can take what yes. Tracy, let's tell him what, what did you have today for meals? So he can do a little planning maybe. And if all those things are cookbooks behind you, I'm very envious that you actually can use them. <laughs> That's not my, that's just in my kitchen, not to mention my little library. But anyway, um, so today I had, uh, I made myself a, a, a smoothie bowl and I had banana, blackberries, uh, ginger, some uh, flaxseed meal and some chopped uh, walnuts on top. Mm. And then for, yeah, it was delicious. And I, and then I had, um, I made myself a stir fry with almond butter sauce. So I had corn, I had broccoli, I had string beans, I had onions and garlic, I had carrots, I had red pepper. Uh, the almond butter sauce was just um, raw almond butter with water. And I put some hot sauce on it, some uh, cayenne pepper, um, uh, dried herb seasonings, you know, I don't know, just different ones. And then um, I had it over quinoa. Um, so cool. that's what I had. Yeah. Oh, and I think I, I grilled, I grilled tofu and put it in there. Um, and you know, there's this whole tofu issue. And I always say it's just made from one bean. If you don't like that bean, just don't eat it. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Well, what's your favorite meat alternative? Since we're talking about a little technology today too, is there something that's like oh, this is the real, this is the way of the future and I love it? Or is there like, no, this is my old school one and I really like this one? Yeah, the, I, you know, you're talking about like Beyond or Impossible or those, or- Yeah, maybe that, or like if you just happen to like tofu as your favorite, then great. I, you know, honestly, anything that is made with chickpea and a coconut curry or an Indian uh, base, you know, Indian style curry is my favorite. I, I do like beans. I mean, it's not sexy, but it's true and they're healthiest. 
So I like any kind of Thai curry, any kind of Indian curry, um, Caribbean curry, just, I just love creamy curry sauces. I love a bit of curry too. You know, we uh, we started off this episode, I surprised Rachel, and we are in business with some folks who are making a bacon from mycelium, and they finally figured out how to make a really, really good bacon substitute. Now, for many of us, we go, that's great. I can enjoy bacon. I, it, it, it smells like when I cook it from my missus, it's like, I don't want to smell the smell of bacon. But I still think that what this is, is a, a beautiful way of technology and it's simple ingredients. And I think everyone will agree. I had a little carbonara with it. Very satisfying and still making a move toward a plant-based diet. Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that product uh, particularly, but in general, I call them bridge foods, right? And so- yeah. Um, a lot of, and so, and I ate bridge foods 35 years ago, right? There, there were, um, there were meat and dairy, vegan meat and dairy based products, right? Um, and so I ate those vegan pepperoni, vegan sausage, vegan pizza, vegan uh, cheese, vegan ice, you know, ice cream, those kinds of things. So um, I see them as bridge foods. If you need them, if you want them, if you like them, go for it. They're not, they're a bridge to cross over with, not necessarily a place to stay, right? A place to live, like to eat every day on a regular basis. But, you know, um, they're def they definitely can be healthier. <laughs> yeah, I was a bad vegetarian for years. I was, a, I've been a vegetarian before and I did not look so hot because I was working every angle just short of not eating animal protein. So again, it is all about, about doing it right. We, we sometimes do definitions. So we're going to use and, and quote you as the originator of it, Bridge Foods. We'll get one of those uh, up and running sooner than later. <laughs> Well, I did, I did verbally commit to coming under your tutelage. Uh, I have other reasons for coming to uh, Washington, D.C., etc. And uh, I'm sure Rachel and, I, Rachel and I will be down that way for some purpose as yet revealed. And I trust that we're going to be uh, looking for you and following up. And I just keep thinking, like, I would love uh, cookbooks from you. I uh, will send you some. Absolutely. I will, I, my mom and I wrote Ageless Vegan together and I, I can send that to you. But if you and I would love to help you, Robert. And if you come take you to my favorite vegan restaurant in the area, which is okay. uh, I'm, a, I, I'm afraid to say because I have so many vegan restaurant owner friends. But <laughs> well, listen, It'll be whatever one we go to that time, and we'll still add a bunch of support to uh, all of the other all of the other uh, great restaurants as well. Uh, Rachel, just because it's Friday and I'm I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, did we miss anything with our distinguished guest? I don't think so. I uh, I have to read Ageless Vegan, and so I have to understand I have to read which, why it's singular. Aren't both you and your mom Ageless Vegans? Uh, yes, we, I mean, you know, we, we, we called our book that, but yeah, um, ageless only because yeah, yeah, we, we say that, but it's just because the common perception is that you will kind of degenerate as you age and it, and it doesn't have to be that way. And so that's really what it means, but yeah, I will definitely, um, 
get them to you, get you some, um, get you some copies. And these are actually recipes that we eat, you know, it's just based on our, the foods that we like and have eaten for the last 35 years. Great. And in addition to wanting to look into that, I was also saying like, it would be fun if you and I and Paltrow or somebody or just us and Rachel within FPC came up with some of your maybe recipes that have come to you since Ageless Vegan. And, and we can do something uh, bespoke that'd be fun. And again, I would then be obliged to eat it and that will keep pushing me down the highway uh, to making this transition. It, will, it won't be, it won't be hard. You're on the, you're on the path. Yeah, I always say, it doesn't matter where you are on the path, as long as you're on it. People get so caught up with comparison. It's just, you're either on a journey where you're heading toward a destination of a better place or you're not. And I've been in both, uh, status you know and uh, this is far preferable so as usual Kropa you were right great guest I will look forward to getting to know you a little better and we will uh, stay in touch with you and um, this is part of a a bit of a shorter format thing we're doing but uh, Tracy's conversation with us in full as it should be will be uh, available for all of you to listen to as well I highly suggest it So Tracy McWhorter, thank you for your time. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Rachel. This was fun. Thank you. Okay. Have a nice weekend.